one word that I would love for us in this new series to say is united. Can we say all of that together? United. That's the name of our new series. We're going to look at five. It's a five-week series at first Corinthians. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but keep that in mind as I share this little bit. We, um, you know, There's a pastor in, in New York. His name is Tim Keller. He's one of my favorite authors and thinkers. I think he's a prophet. Uh, he's called out a lot of what is happening, and, and he knows how to speak into the culture. One of the things that he says is that there's four types of churches. The first type of church is the church that is just in the city. This church gathers on Sundays, maybe on Wednesdays, and that's about it. They have very little influence in the city and what happens outside of the walls of the church. That's the church that is in the city. The second is the church that is of the city. This church is not influencing the city, but is being influenced by the city. It is a church that has assimilated into the culture and does not abide by what God calls his church to live and do here in the word of God. The third is the church that is against the city. This church is so repulsed by the culture out there that they have been fully uh, separated from them. They've been isolated and, and, and they've had this anger and they can't even influence the city because of that disdain that the culture brings about in their minds and their hearts. Do any of those churches sound good to you? Well, some of you are being honest. There's a fourth type of church. And that is a church that is for the city. This church is united in conviction, is united in harmony, is united on mission all under the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach the outside culture of their city for the gospel in the name of Jesus. Not intimidated by the culture, not silenced by fears, but united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cypress Creek Church, that is the type of church that we are called to be. In fact, that is the type of church that we have been. In 1993, Rob, who's sitting right over there, founding pastor, calling him out. He started with 43 people in his living room. This is called the living room, if you didn't know. It's a larger living room than his living room then in 1993. 43 people came together, not because they had many things in common, not because they were a part of the same social club or even preference of church. They were united because they were in relationship with one another, and they were united under the name of Jesus, and they started worshiping, and they started praying, and they started teaching the word of God. In amazing, in eight weeks, that 43 turned into one 50. And in a few weeks after that, they started meeting in a place, a couple of other places. If you haven't gone to Discovery, uh, this is a shameless plug to Discovery. We have a little video that shares the whole story of Cypress Creek Church. And now 2021, here we are, growing. God is doing something amazing through Cypress Creek Church. He's moving in a new and in, in fresh way. Not that any of the old is, is bad, not at all. In fact, the old it founded, it's the same spirit that God you or that God moved through then and is moving now, and it's exciting. But let me tell you something. We need to be united as we were in the beginning 
and we need to be united as we continue to walk forward as the church. We want to be a church for the city. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. I'll give a little bit of the context here in a second, but I want to read the theme verse for our series. It's 1 Corinthians 1, chapter uh, 1.10. So I appeal to you, so this is Paul saying, hey, I urge you, this is important. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, hey, I, I'm, this is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other and let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And in this series, we will be looking at how to be united. This morning, we'll talk about under Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about how to be united of one mind, that is in our conviction for what is sin, what, what uh, takes us away from the Lord and how the Lord redeems those places in our lives so that we can live in harmony with one another as a body and on mission. But first, I want to, um, oh, you guys are ahead of me. I'm going to go back through these in just a second. I want to go back to the title, um, the, that one. There you go. Those are Corinthian columns. What do they look like, though? We have a couple of buildings that are, are on the news often that have those. Capitol building, um, the uh, Supreme Court of the United States has those Corinthian columns. Those come from this ancient city of Corinth, this church that Paul uh uh, set up. He planted this church in the first century, and it's pretty cool because those columns support these pretty phenomenal buildings, don't they? Well, one of our favorite places in Washington, D.C. was the Arboretum. Not a lot of tourists in the Arboretum, and uh, there's this picture that I took of that's Taylor, my wife. It was winter. She was all scarfed up, and uh, that was a really old iPhone, as you can tell, because the you know the you like the filter. And now we do no filter. Back then, we put all the filters on the pictures. Anyway, uh, that's the original Capitol building columns. They're in the Arboretum as a museum. You can take pictures by them. You can picnic by them. They're not good for much, though. They're, they certainly aren't good to sustain or support any sort of building out there. They're isolated from what they were created for. Friends, when we are united in Christ, we can do amazing things together. And we have been called by God to do some awesome things in his name here right now, for this city, and you're saying, well, I don't live in Wimberley. Great, because we have amazing things planned in San Marcos and in Dripping Springs and in Kamal County and in Kyle and in Buda and even in Driftwood. Normally I say even in Canyon Lake, but today I'm saying even in Driftwood because it's like that in between, you know? Uh, but anyway, God has amazing things planned and he's using not social clubs, but the church of the living God to change this culture inside out and turn it upside down or right side up according to what God has created me. Check this out. We all have differences. We all have things that we like to do. And if you talk to a few people here, I bet you will find some people that you are very similar to. They enjoy the same things that you do, or maybe they do something in their workplace that is similar to what you do. And you'll probably meet. I hope you meet. I think you will meet somebody that is different than you. Now, if we were to form a social club, we would find like-minded people that had similar interests, yeah? Fishing clubs and Jeep 
clubs and Yeti clubs. Are there Yeti clubs? There should be one. Let's make a Yeti club. Uh, other, what other other types of clubs? Um, sports clubs, baseball teams, and football, and all of this stuff that brings us together, these things that we enjoy that bring us together. The beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that those differences are all welcome in this room. No matter where you grew up, no matter what year you were born, no matter what your upbringing was in church, out of church, welcome into this place. Did you know that your teaching team, the teachers here, they span six generations from their 70s all the way through their 20s. I won't tell you who's in their 70s. Don't worry about it. 70s all the way through 20. We have been positioned in a place of tremendous influence over so many differing little silos that represent our culture. Why is that? Well, it's not to bring us any sort of glory. It's to bring him glory and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into those places versus trying to create some sort of social club that, that, that is exclusive and, you know, set apart from the world out there. We must be united in Jesus Christ. So Paul is speaking to this church that he planted. He planted the church and then he spent about two years with the people in Corinth, this Greek city that was actually a cosmopolitan city, city of commerce, a lot of banking, a lot of artisans. So a lot of people from different backgrounds, rich, uh, uh, middle class, lower class, all in one church. Beautiful picture of what the church is called to be. And then he leaves, and then he gets this letter, or he gets this word somehow. We don't know how, we know who. We'll read that in a bit, but we don't know how. And so Paul writes this letter addressing some of the division that has infiltrated the body of Christ. Now, let me say this before we get going. Paul is writing this letter uh, reactively. So he heard, and then he wrote the letter I want to be clear that this is proactive. Everybody get that? I'm not speaking to one group of people. We're talking about leaders. I'm not talking about Rob and future leaders and all of that stuff. I'm speaking proactively the word of God because it is imperative as the living body of Christ that we are united. And so Paul gives us four things to watch out for. And these will be these, the, the messages in the coming Weeks. The first one is the one that we're going to talk about today. We must be united under Jesus. We must follow Jesus instead of one leader. Verse 17 says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, speaking of Paul, but to preach the good news and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But little preview for next week. We're going to be talking about how we need to be united in Conviction. So in verse 10, when he's speaking of being of one mind and in the same thought, we need to understand what should bring us conviction as the people of God. And so we'll talk about the two things that Paul addresses in the book of 1 Corinthians. The first is sexual integrity, and then he'll talk about preference. He speaks to food, sacrifice to idols. That's not really uh, relevant to us today. So we'll talk about how that is relevant. And then we must... Uh, be united in harmony. We'll talk about 
the body of Christ, how it's supposed to work together, how we're not competing against one another, but we are complementing one another. And when we are not only just witnesses here, but when we participate, when we get in the game, how that just does amazing things as we all play our part in what God has called us to do. So that's uh, chapters 11 through 14 that talk about that. And then the last chapters, 15 and 16, talk about United on Mission. That's how we'll close the series in a few weeks, United on Mission, because here's the deal. I don't need to tell you that we have a divided world out there, that in your families and in your workplaces and in your friend groups, this year, these last year and a half or whatever, has done crazy things in, in, this, in, in a dividing way. We've seen it like maybe no other time in history. And so we need to be aware of the enemy's divisive plan, and we need to combat that with God's unifying gospel. So here we go. Today, we'll talk about verses 11 through 18 in the first chapter, and then we'll hit a couple of verses in the second chapter. And we are going to look at where this power comes from. We're all wanting some sort of experience when we have a relationship with Jesus. And Paul is very clear where that source of power comes from. So first 10 verses, he does a little introduction. Beautiful, read it. By the way, 15 chapters, 15, 16 chapters in the book, 16 chapters. So if you read four chapters, five chapters a week, you read the whole book in a month. Challenge. Okay, moving on. Verse 11, Paul says, and he's getting to the point of his letter. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, could you imagine being one of Chloe's people and reading this letter, you know, and like the Apostle Paul wrote a letter and he's totally calling you out? Tattletale. Here's the thing. I love that he does that because it's genuine and authentic. And I also love because even calling her out uh, doesn't, you know, this is so important the fact that there is division within the body of Christ is such an urgent matter that he does label the source so that they know. And I don't know what happened to Chloe's people. We don't really know much about Chloe's people, but I wouldn't want to be Chloe's people. That's all I know. By the way, Chloe's probably an influential businesswoman of that uh, city. Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Four different leaders. Jesus is one of them. Paul, the author, is another. The other two, Apollos, is probably the new guy, the one that, that uh, came after Paul in the city of Corinth. And then Cephas is Peter. And Peter is the big kahuna. He's the leader in the church in Jerusalem. So he's like the dude. And so what's happening is that these people are following different personalities. And not only that, but they're using that to rival one another. Here's the irony. Scripture is clear in Acts that Paul and Peter, Cephas, did have some disagreements. They worked them out. So they were of one accord. We know that Paul and Apollos are good later in the letter. And then Jesus, come on. So this isn't about the leaders quarreling among them. Isn't that interesting? This is about the followers saying, I'm following that guy. I'm following him. Now, 
You may say, well, that doesn't happen today or that doesn't happen in the church. Maybe it doesn't for you, but we live in the age of influencers where there's people wanting to teach. There's people wanting to influence in every facet of life, just scrolls through social media and you'll see the people that are really influencing our culture today. And some of them are not united under Jesus. We need to be careful who we are following, but the power is not in who we follow. He goes on, verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? This is Paul's rhetorical sarcasm (laughs) through rhetorical question, right? He's saying what? Uh, Is Christ divided? No, Christ is not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? He's not the guy that died for you. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, we are baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 14, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then in parentheses in verse 16, he says, well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. And beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. And what what I love about this passage is it speaks to how personal Paul is writing to this church. You hear the tone? It's a personal letter of love from a church planter to his church saying, guys, you've missed the mark. It's not about the who, and it's not about who has done what. So I want to say about that. We're celebrating some baptisms this week uh, from, from some of us, and we've celebrated some baptisms here in the last few weeks. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. The power is not in the baptism. Baptism is an overflow of what God is already doing in us. We're just going public with our faith when we are baptized. And I, I know that some of us are like, well, I was baptized, sprinkled as a kid. Here's the only thing I want to say to you. I was sprinkled as a kid through the Catholic Church, and I struggled with that. I'm like, wait, one Scripture says one, bapt, one baptism, and so I think I'm good. My heart's in the right place with the Lord. When I went public with my faith, something happened in here. I was held accountable to those that saw me be baptized, and I needed that. I needed to be held accountable, and without knowing it or without wanting it, I inspired others. When they watched me go underwater, being washed by the water, the baptism waters, and then being brought out, representing being made new, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to think and pray about that. And do it not because of, uh, you know, it's, it's religious symbol, but, because, but do it out of obedience because of what Christ has done for you. So Paul very specifically is speaking to not baptism, but who is baptizing. It's not about people. That's not where our power is. He goes on in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the cross For the word of the cross is folly. It's foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is challenging, y'all. As a speaker, this is challenging because it has nothing to do with the speaker. It has nothing to do with the presenter. It has everything to do with the message. And you and I, When you say yes to Jesus Christ, you have been renewed. You now have a new identity 
as a son and a daughter of the Lord Most High because of the cross. And the power is not in how good you can share your story, or the power is not in how good you can explain the gospel to other people. The power is in the message, not the messenger. And Paul is saying you're being distracted by personalities. You're being distracted by popularity. Forget those things. The message is in, the the power is in the message of the gospel. He goes on in uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I want you to think about what Paul is speaking to us. Paul, if you don't know, was a persecutor of Christians, and he was the religious elite. He knew, he knew everything about the Old Testament. Any Trivia that you could ever think of, Paul knew it because he studied it his entire life. He was a student of the law, and he knew it so much so that he thought himself superior to these new Jesus followers, these followers of the way as they were in the first century. And so he's like, no, man, this is wrong. This is not of God. But then God transformed him. God met him. He became personal to Paul in his life was turned upside down. And this is the same man that says, I know a lot. I've experienced a lot. But I decided while I was with you that I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, which is hard to imagine Paul as timid and trembling. In verse 4, in my message, in my preaching, were very Plain, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. So the power is not in the personality. The power is not in the messenger. The power is not even in the way that you explain it. Where is the power then? Well, four times through these passages, we read, the power is on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. What has brought Cypress Creek Church where it's been in 27 years? As much as I love my father-in-law and our founding pastor, it's not in him, although God used him in powerful, mighty ways. It's very little to do with me. It has little to do with the instruments and the music. Ben would be the first person to tell you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ and the cross that has totally renewed us from the inside out. The one who was and is to come, the blood that took away our sins once and for all. That's where the power is. That's where the power is. And here's the beautiful part. The power of God is in the cross. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That although he never sinned, Jesus chose to die for us, to take the punishment that we deserve upon his shoulders. And he was beaten so that we wouldn't have to bear that weight. Crazy, y'all. That's the message 
of the gospel, and that is the power of God. But here's what I really want us to concentrate in, where I'm going to close. The cross is personal. It's personal to you and to me. I don't know how you grew up, again, uh, going to church, but maybe for you, church is, is this thing that you kind of have to do so that you do the right thing or that you stay on this good side of God, but outside of church, that's about it. Well, here's the challenging part is that once we go out, that doesn't change. Just because we went into church and left, that doesn't change much. But when we come and we connect with the power of the cross in here, we do recharge as we take that with us to our workplaces and with our families and, and whatever storm life throws our way, we are ready because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. It is personal. John Wesley, who moved so many mountains in uh, the 1700s, he came, he established a, a, a movement a small group movement, actually, and we are a small movement church. We do a lot of things that John Wesley has 22 questions that are incredibly poignant and convicting. We're going to go one by one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to give you one. It's his 22nd question, and he asks, is Christ real to me? I want to ask you that this morning. Is Christ real to you? Or are you just here to check off the box? Or are you even here to, to maybe get to that place? I, ask you to consider to let go and allow the Spirit of the Lord to fill you fresh and in you this morning because he is real in this moment because of what he did for us over 2,000 years ago. The cross is personal. A couple of other questions. When was the last time that you invited someone to church? When was the last time that, that you asked or somebody, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Or shared with them, hey, what do you think uh, uh, you know, God is, is all about? Shared with them the, the hope that lives in you. I want to share with you my story, why I put my faith in Jesus. When was the last time that you even practiced confessing out loud those things that take us away from the Lord? Those are things that happen when the cross is real to us than what Jesus, when, when we picture him on the cross, when we remember what he did for us on that day, we're able to do all of those things naturally. See, he didn't just die for us. He was in the grave for three days, and then he conquered death and rose again to give you and me resurrection power and everlasting life. That is good news Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that. How is that real in your life? How is the life that you're living now different than the life that you lived before Jesus? And maybe think how different your life will be with Jesus from this point forward as you make Jesus your Lord and Savior. We've experienced some hard times this year, and one of those hard times uh, has been accentuated last week, uh, last five weeks. One of our leaders, uh, Becky Ball, many of you know her, her son has been in the hospital for five weeks. He's uh, been on life support. Doctors 
gave them no chance. And last week, a miracle happened. I'm going to tie this into all of this because it really is amazing. We decided to pray and fast for a whole day. I sent this out to community group leaders and our overseers and our team prayed and fasted for one day, asking for God to heal Shane this side of heaven, even though we know that he will be healed no matter what, either on that side or this side. But God says, ask, and so we asked for a miracle. And y'all, last Wednesday, a miracle happened. Doctors said he had no hope, and something happened, and they said he is doing better. It's not out of the woods. It's not out of the woods, but our hope is in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. By his wounds, we are healed. And I share this to you for two reasons. One, I want to pray for Shane today. because He's still in the hospital, and we need to join together. And that's the second thing, is that there is power in unity when we come together in the name of Jesus as a body, under the name of Jesus. Whatever you want, Lord, we know that you are totally in control, but we ask God, so under the name of Jesus. Now, I know a lot of you are going through things that are really hard. You don't need to go through this alone. We are a body of Christ that is here for one another. No matter what you've done, no matter what is going on, no matter how hopeless your circumstance may seem, there is hope. And we are put on this earth to remind one another of that hope that we have. In Jesus. So let's take a moment right now and, and pray for Shane. Lord, we thank you for the miracle that we've experienced in the last week that we prayed. We were without food for a day just to make room for prayer and, and allow us uh, to, to be aware of your goodness and your power, God. I thank you that that is how this works, that it's not us ushering anything in, but it's us being aware of what you are doing. And so we ask, Father, for you to continue to work in him, in his body. We pray for the space, the, the air that is in uh, his body to go away so that he can no longer depend on instruments, but that he can be sustained life on his own. And we pray for recovery in the name of Jesus. We ask this as one body of Christ, your church here on earth. We ask for a miracle. And Father, in unison, I pray for all the miracles that we collectively have in this room. We raise them up to you, Father, and I pray that we would have the boldness to share those things with one another and that we would remind each other that we are not in this alone, but that we are here to do life with one another. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Worship team, you can come back up. I really want to encourage you to join a community group if you're not already in one. One of the cool things that we had over the last uh, few weeks as we've gotten these prayer um, these prayer uh, updates and, and healing updates, and even you know, it's been a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. We've kept in touch via the text messages. And, and, you know, the iPhone has the blue. If you have an Android, you don't get the blue. Uh, but if you have an iPhone, you know, you get those blue text messages. Um, Android, you're forgiven for not having, you know, the blue. But, you know, we like love the message and we like the message. And it's powerful when we see something come in and then you get praying, praying, love, love, like, like, you know, talking about a body of Christ working together. I encourage you, that is available to all of us. 
join a community group. Join one and then watch it multiply. It is a beautiful thing to see that type of koinonia, that type of fellowship going from this place, no matter if you're in high school or whether you are um, older. So I don't know where you are with Jesus, but I, I want you to think about that. Think about what the cross means to you as we close out. And you may think, well, unity, uh, it sounds a little too whatever. I want to close with this uh, prayer. It's in John 17. Jesus is in the garden. He is, this is right before he is crucified. And he says this prayer. And in John 17, he's praying to his father. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is Jesus praying for you and for me. Back then and today, he was and is and is to come. Let's pray.